0: Good afternoon, Massara Heri. Bonjour, buenos tardes, guten tag, grüezi. It's great to be back here, it's a beautiful place. I love the Côte d'Azur, the weather and everything and meeting really amazing people. Today I have a simple topic, artificial intelligence. You know, it's really interesting, I've been looking at this topic for roughly 10 years. You know, I'm a futurist, so I look at future things, I talk to people about the future. And all of a sudden it feels like half a year ago it has erupted like a volcano uh, into something much bigger than we all thought. You know, it's really been around for 50 years, 70 years really, back in the 50s. And now we have this discussion about what happens with humans and machines. Can a machine be kind of like a human? Think, reason. I mean, now we're talking about AI not just you know, learning, deep learning or machine learning. We're talking about reasoning. This is a whole different class of device. And, of course, speaking, making videos, creating content, pretending to be human, essentially. And that's bringing up lots and lots of stories. For example, one of my key stories for the last four years has been what I call the good future. How do we build a world that's actually going to work for us? that solves climate change, that brings people together, that achieves our, solves our biggest problems. And it's quite clear AI in economic terms can lead to huge growth of productivity. You know, it's essentially a power tool. I mean, since you guys are on cybersecurity, going through all that data is gonna be a lot easier when AI is involved. Sometimes you don't know whether to trust the decision or not, that's a different story but we have power tools now. So what does a good future entail and how we're going to work on that overlap of humans and machines? And I really believe that humanity is sort of at a crossroads now. When we're looking at this drop, basically dropping into the water, that's all of a sudden like fire, like the printing press. You know, now we potentially have a machine that can do things for us that we used to do, a thinking machine. And I call that, you know, especially today with all the geopolitical change that we have, we're living in an era of perma-change. Some people would say perma-crisis. Right? I think perma-change is better. Kind of like 1968, I, you know, I was seven in 1968, so I don't know what really happened. But that was the last time in the world where we had fundamental change. In five years, the entire world changed geopolitics, war, music, philosophy, everything. And here we are today at a very similar point. We no longer have two superpowers of the world, the Americans and the Soviet Union. We have five. And we have these conflicts that are really, most of them, 50 years old, right? And they're hopping out and exploding. It's really, a, truly a pivot point. And in many pivot points, I think, you know, like climate change, clearly, we have technological solutions that will help us to solve this. And then we have other things that technology doesn't solve. You know? Technology will not solve so- social, cultural, political problems and geopolitical problems. And sometimes in the last couple of weeks, I get this kind of feeling when I'm speaking, and also for myself, of course, and when I speak to my family, like the hope is being sucked in you know, because everything is failing. First, Ukraine, Russia, now Israel-Palestine conflict, and of course, automation. And when you watch movies about artificial intelligence, you always get the same story, and the story is really quite simple. First, the robots will come and take our work, and then they will harvest our bodies for energy. It always ends badly for us. I mean, there's like 98%. I can only think of two movies I really like that are not quite as negative, even though they are still negative, like Her, the movie Her, which is amazing, but it also ends kind of badly. But I think it's really important that we say, okay, I think the future really is better than we think. I mean, think about all the innovation, the scientific technological progress that we have made the people that have moved out of poverty on a worldwide level, even though it doesn't look like it sometimes. And for example, longevity, we all get to live one third of a year longer every year we live in Western countries. I mean, average lifespan 100 years ago was roughly about 52 years. Now it's 86. My kids are going to live to be 100 years old, unless something terrible happens, and their kids to be 120. That's like 60 years on the cruise ship, right? That's a long time. What are you gonna do when you get retired? So great saying by the Italian poet Gromsky. He said, pessimism of the intellect, asking questions, but optimism of the mind. We cannot possibly always look at what's happening on the bad side and say, oh, it's all going to hell. Let me move to New Zealand and build a shelter. You know, let's leave that to Elon. We have to think about a better way for the future to build a better future. So uh, if I can remind you, it's basically optimists that build the future. It's not people who are sitting back and saying, oh, you know, everything is failing. I can't do anything. It's optimism that builds the future. So two years ago, I went to Lanzarote, a beautiful place, Canary Islands. I made a film called uh, The Good Future. It was in the middle of COVID, really. It was not easy to do. And I made a film to figure out, you know, what is a good future all about, and how can we arrange it? And when I did the film, and I put it out, a lot of people came to me and said, oh, you know, you must be joking, there's no such thing as the good future. My own children said to me, the future isn't good, you're dreaming, because if you look at everything, you could say the future is, you know, tough, more difficult. You know, research shows that, for example, in Europe, about four out of 10 people, millennials, you know, younger people, between, say, 25 to 40, 40% of them are saying they won't have kids because the future is terrible. Can you believe that? Maybe that's not true in France. I'm not sure. But, you know, every country has their own thinking around this. Right? So, Kevin Kelly, famous futurist in California, he says, we should be optimistic not because we have less problems. We have lots of problems, getting more problems all the time, right? But our capacity to solve them is getting bigger and bigger, is leaping. Capacity to solve political, religious, whatever problems, different story, right? But practical problems, energy, climate change, water, food. I mean, we're inventing like crazy. I mean, the last couple of years have been going up like this, solution after solution. Like climate change, we just have to put the money in the right place. It's not a miracle what we have to do. And in 20 years, people are saying roughly, research shows that we can probably solve cancer in 20 years, not heal cancer, but prevent it through genetic engineering. I mean, think about those Large stories, right? So when we look at this in general, of course, you know, we have three waves coming towards us and they're actually good and bad at the same time. So climate change, I'll talk a little bit about that later. Artificial intelligence and the last one is synthetic technology, biotechnology. For example, inventing processes from nature into engineering allows us to redo things and create stuff like sustainable airplane fuel. Right, or different ways of mixing concrete. Now there's companies reinventing concrete so we can actually recycle concrete and print it in a large machine. I mean, these things are just everywhere around us. And you can look at this and say, oh my God, it's going to be terrible because the machines and the climate change. Yes, climate change is a problem. We're going to suffer you know, for the next two decades while we change what we do, but it is solvable. Artificial intelligence is one of those things where most people are confused about what it really does. I'll explain in a second. But yes, eventually it could become potentially more intelligent than humans. The latest forecast, just to give you a shocker here, a nice future shock, uh, people are saying roughly 2030, 2032, we may have a machine that has the combined computing capacity of all human brains. Well, this is just computing capacity, not not anything else, but they, you know, it's, that's quite a mouthful, you could say, that's quite a story there. And as we move into that future, it's important to realize people are looking at this world and saying, okay, so we have these doors and the doors are closed and we think that the future is all about the, the closed door. But I think really what's happening is the doors are opening, they're not closing. <laughs> And this is the painful part. You know, If you've ever been to therapy, you know what I'm talking about. When you find an open door, a tiny open door to solve a problem, you have to step through that door to solve the problem. It's painful. You don't want to go. But this is what we have right now. The conflicts that we're seeing, climate change, AI, they all come down to this story that the, the doors aren't closing, they are open and they're giving us new opportunities. So i give you a chart here. Climate change, people always think of climate change and addressing it as a, as a spending undertaking, but this is actually the biggest business ever. Most investors are now saying roughly the next 1,000 unicorn billion dollar companies are going to be in climate technology. I mean, it's, it's like technology, but you know, 100 times as big. And yes, it costs money. It will cost two to 3% of global GDP to solve this problem but we're building an entirely different industry. Sustainable, circular, renewable, probably nuclear as well, changing how the world works. We're seeing this happening. All these charts like renewables are now cheaper in many countries than coal, like in India, Brazil, Spain, Greece, solar energy. And this chart is the best. We have actually decoupled our emissions from growth already. Not enough. But here's the key we can propagate a world that is about degrowth, you know, not, not growing. I think that's a difficult story. Because humans are just, you know, we, we grow, we do new things, we expand. Very hard to change that. But if we can do this with technology and the right policy, we can make emissions go down and keep on with the growth. Not forever, of course, but within reason. So Basically, we can safely say with technology and artificial intelligence, science fiction is becoming science fact. This device here has now, I have about 5,000 songs online, you know, on Spotify, but there are 100 million songs on Spotify. I mean, that was science fiction. Remember Star Trek when I can call, you know, and make a visual connection like 30 years ago? That's kind of real now. And very soon, WhatsApp will allow us to speak in 30 languages so I can call somebody and have a real-time translation in Chinese. I mean, that is truly science fiction becoming science fact. One thing we have to notice, though, as we do business, a lot of things we used to do don't work anymore. And this will get worse. That's actually good, but it's, it's hard to deal with because it creates perma change. If you're in the car industry, you know what I'm talking about. We used to sell cars in the car industry. What do we sell now? Mobility. That's not just cars, it's everything. And cars have become software. Pharma is becoming software. Banking is becoming software. Healthcare is becoming software. And so basically it's like, okay, we have to think about this. cybersecurity. same thing. With the invention of AI, we have to reboot how we think about this. And the black box problem, you know, what do we do with that? Big question mark there. So moving into this future, we have six king-making technologies that are just about to explode around us, not just AI. I wanna just put that in before we get into the topic. So of course, first AI, then we have quantum computing, supercomputing. Roughly five, eight years from now, we have unlimited computing power. Even the MacBook M3 will not beat what we have now. This will be like times 10,000. And here on my wristwatch, I mean, mind-boggling. Nuclear fusion, where we're able to create unlimited energy. That's a roughly, uh, at this point, $400 billion investment from various companies. When we have that, it's the opposite of fission. We have clean nuclear energy. People are saying 10, 15, 20 years, not 100 years. When we have that, Unlimited water, unlimited food, unlimited travel, space travel, everything. Our kids will get to see this. Synthetic biology, creating new materials based on nanotechnology, genetic engineering, protein technology, genetic engineering, big story, lots of questions, and of course the biggest one, geoengineering, putting the world back, I mean these are all very big contentious issues of course who is in charge and you know all these kind of things most countries tend to think that if you are running two or three of these at the same time if you're the leader in AI and cloud computing you basically run everything oh well, that's kind of you know that this is what leads to international debates about regulation so as we're moving here we have three revolutions first The digital revolution, that's of course, everyday business for us now. Uh, Second, the sustainable revolution, which means everything is going green, everything is going circular. I always say jokingly, half jokingly, sustainable is the new profitable. You'll find out very soon that basically, if you're not green and circular and sustainable, people will hate you. That's already kind of true. Like many people who graduate from college today will not work for an oil and gas company not making any judgment here, just transferring information, <laughs> right. And we're seeing this become 100 times as big as digital. In fact, you could say green is the new digital. So if you wanna invest money and, you, and this is the next 100 million new jobs as well. And of course, uh, in the Middle East, for, you know this is totally clear, they belong together, digital and green. The last one is the toughest one, that is the uh, purpose revolution. That's thinking about what do we actually want? And it's not people my generation doing that because you know, it was clear what we wanted, which was growth and prosperity and so on and so on. But now you know, people are saying, what is the purpose of all of this? People, planet, purpose, prosperity, not just prosperity. And that's becoming a political movement. You can see that happening in many ways also uh, when you look at CEOs and people who run companies and so on. And within technology, we have, of course, a really interesting turf that this is now teaming up to create four different types of technologies. So information technology, energy and climate tech, the World Economic Forum says roughly here, looking at about 200 million new jobs in the next 20 years. So, I mean, all of that stuff is good news for jobs and for for growth. The big problem is, however, it may create things that we no longer control because technology is basically everything. I mean, if you're looking at the world today, technology companies are running the show in, in pretty much every business. And we're seeing this happening. It could be a present, could be all good, or it could be bombed by doing things we don't want. The best example for a bomb is social media. I was mentioned earlier. It used to be a gift. I mean, I was heavily involved in Facebook. In Twitter. I stopped using Twitter three weeks ago because I just couldn't take the noise anymore and the bots and the AI generated content and you know it just felt like you don't know what's happening there and social media is a great example also you know Facebook makes a 150 million dollar profit per day and ever since the rise of social media we've seen democracies around the world struggling because social media amplifies prejudice and bias and negative views and has almost no control over content. So an interesting uh, analogy here is that in social media, artificial intelligence creates the content and that hasn't resulted in good enough content. So it's something we have to think about as an example. So that's really important. I wish we could create a policy that would give us 95% good things with all of these technologies. And that's not a question of technology. Technology is morally neutral until you use it. I mean, every technology, you have a hammer, you can go and kill your neighbor or build a house. You can do that with every technology. But of course, regulation about hammers is not so important as compared to other technologies that we're looking at. So let's talk about what it means to be human and to be a machine and what AI is actually doing today. First, AI is a general purpose technology, print this out, put it on the wall, (laughs) like fire, like the printing press, like the chip, like the internet, probably more like fire. So we have invented something, took 70 years, and then sort of open AI, forced it out there, you know, like a uh, cesarean birth, you could say, kind of popped out and surprised all of us. And that became a huge issue all of a sudden because we could see how powerful it is in this transition. And we can see basically uh, the definition of that. If we look at Demis Hassabis from DeepMind, he says, AI is computer systems that turn information and data into knowledge. That should really make you think. He's not saying it's it's computers that do what humans used to do, blah, blah, blah. Knowledge... We're talking about us. We're knowledge workers, right? I'm a knowledge worker. If a machine has knowledge, what do I have? Should I compete with a machine on knowledge? Well, machines, of course, today we know machines have binary knowledge, simple knowledge, logic. That's roughly, scientists say, between three to five percent of real life is what a machine understands today. Because if I meet you later in person, it takes us an average of 0.4 seconds to read the other person without saying a single word. Computers don't do that. There's no data there, right? So <laughs> there's no result. The real world is quite different than the computer world. As of yesterday, everybody can build their custom GPT, general purpose technology, right? the custom uh, app that they're using, the transformer. By using your own data, OpenAI has unlocked the possibility of taking, for example, your bank's data, creating your own chatbot using the technology as a white label. Uh, And of course, we have this big discussion of just a little while ago, uh, uh, OpenAI's competitor, DeepMind, has come up with a, uh, a system that allows you to essentially decipher proteins called protein folding which allows us to create entirely new things, technologies and products from protein folding. That was impossible without AI. And now all of a sudden it became possible. And the next definition, general intelligence, that should also kind of make you think, are autonomous systems that surpass human capabilities in the majority of economically viable tasks, open AI. The declared goal of open AI is to create artificial general intelligence. I don't think that's a very good idea. I'll explain in a second why, but it's interesting to look at what they're doing because you know, of course these things are exponential. Biden, President Biden just came up with this executive order on AI to get people to collaborate better. That's allegedly the idea. Uh, and of course we have people warning about what general intelligence could entail. There are many, many topics here, but as Marshall McLuhan once said, it's the framework that's changing, not just the picture. So when you're looking at AI, don't look at the picture and say, oh, that's a very cute answer from JetGPT or from DALI, right? It is basically intelligent assistance on one hand. That's just better software. That's 95% of what we're going to be doing. And then more intelligent systems. Here we have a chart showing us, and now it's a little bit hard to read. We're going to share it later so you can see it. But basically, we see here that we are actually getting much closer to human-like capabilities than we've ever thought in the next 15 years. Human-like capabilities, that's stuff like language understanding, image understanding, logical reasoning. We are leaping. That doesn't make them human because they don't exist, right? There's no conscious, no agency but logic, plenty. I'm gonna zoom in on this one a little bit so you can see what I'm talking about. Basically, if you're looking at this roughly 2030 ballpark and these three things, social, emotional output, social reasoning, emotional sensing, that sounds almost like consciousness, right? Do we want that? Do we want general intelligence like this? Do we want to go to a world that is essentially like back in Blade Runner that I showed earlier Open AI as the Tyrell Corporation. If you watch Blade Runner, you know what I'm talking about. The governor of AI. It's mind-boggling. Huh? This company is now worth $86 billion. I mean, you know, by essentially rebooting how we do things. So, says Sam Altman, the CEO, he says: the coming change in AI will center around the impressive things that humans are doing. The phenomenal ability to think, create, understand, and reason. To which I would say, to me, it would be great if a machine could stop being stupid. Yeah. If it could understand my own name, Gert, right? Because in English, GERD means gastrointestinal reflux disease, you know, it's an abbreviation. My computer still hasn't understood that it's actually me that I'm talking about, not the disease. But do I want a computer to reason? to beat human capability? I think that's not such a hot idea, really. I think in the end, this is why we have the discussions that the United Nations have set forth, and I think that we should all underwrite, to create an international atomic agency, kind of like, or an IPCC for artificial intelligence. Not to prevent it, but to figure out how we're going to structure it. You know, every industry, including yours, blossoms when we have standards. Regulations, accountabilities, transparencies, penalties, right? every industry. We wouldn't be here today if there were no standards in security, or in how we compute, for that matter. Right? So, a really important point. You've seen this film, Space Odyssey 201. Uh, two Affirmative day. i read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You've seen that film, right? Basically, the computer takes over, and the astronaut gets locked out because the computer knows that he intends to unplug him. Right? You've got to watch the film to get the context. And the movie Her, where he recognizes, falls in love with his OS, like many of us have fallen in love with these little things, right? Uh, and then he realized, he asks her at the end, how many other people do you love at this very moment? and she says 3,647. You know, she's not human, she doesn't have a body, so I guess it's feasible. But it's frustrating for him. It tells a great story about the human-machine interface. So what we're seeing today is we're going from classification of, of content and data, that was the first internet, to generating content, stories, images, pictures. Now we're going to interactive. The future of AI will not be on this box or in your computer, it will be anywhere where you can speak, on your wristwatch, on your device, in your car, and you'll have a digital assistant that you speak to and say, hey, where should I go for dinner? Where are the interesting people in the audience? We've seen that movie, of course, as well. But now OpenAI is looking to build a device. and and This is real. This is not just made up stuff. building a device that's not a mobile phone. In fact, some people say that's the next iPhone. No wonder Apple is getting worried about you know, where this Everybody be going. is gonna have an intelligent assistant, a personal intelligence that knows you, that is super smart, that understands your personal history, and can actually hold state. It can preserve things in its working memory. So it will be able to reason over your day, help you prioritize your time, help you invent, be much more creative. It'll be a research assistant, but it'll also be a coach and a companion. And so it's- That's the CEO of Inflection AI, Mustafa Suleiman. They're inventing a machine that does all of these things independently from where it is. Right, so we're looking at basically wearable systems like the genie in the bottle Uh, So this would be an example of what that looks like. Uh, Of course, this was made with artificial intelligence. So I went to Dali, ChatGPT, and asked them, you know, what it would look like if we were all wearing this. And we can see that clearly happening everywhere. For example, this is Humane.ai, which is the other guy that uh, has invented this, where you can have this AI and wear it. Naomi Campbell did a fashion show the other day wearing a, a wearable AI thing that she was speaking to. Uh, well, I don't know how that went, but uh, anyway, that's kind of where things are going, and of course, that's the idea, right? Your personal digital assistant. Imagine four and a half billion people around the world. I mean, this will be way too expensive for, for the time being, but you know, the idea of four and a half billion people wearing something like this, and then the world could look like this. So basically, AI is everywhere, and you know, again, this is the AI talking about itself, so that's what it does best. Um, I love this picture. <laughs> I don't know how I came up with that, but I thought, okay, that's really interesting because, you know, this is kind of cool, but at the same time, it could be heaven, it could be hell. Because, you know, we need to figure out how do we fit in. What do we do with it? And think about security implications of that. I mean, this is like computing X ten thousand, you know, and what it would do there. So as we move into that future, we clearly have to think about all of these components of what's happening. We have to think about alignment, making sure that it fits the agenda, you know, it fits what we want, our ethics and values, and of course, that's hard to impress, uh, to express sometimes, and of course, control and containment. So what we should not have, for example, is a machine that's a black box, at least not in most cases. The CEO of the SEC the other day in the the US, Gary Gensler said, it's very likely we're going to see a stock market crash because of artificial intelligence, disseminating information that's unverified, causing a panic, essentially a black box. Because people believe what they see and they don't understand that they've been manipulated in financial information, that could be a very big issue. We have this alignment problem where basically we're spending trillions on technology development, but this line down here shows very little on human alignment, like figuring out who's in control, whether we should believe it or not, So that's kind of becoming a major issue. This is alignment problem here. You can see this is the best illustration of alignment problems that I could find. I mean, if you have a machine that generates answers, imagine if it would do that that's probably not a machine that we could rely on very much. <laughs> and we may see a machine that does this. You know, it creates huge amounts of productivity increase. But human functions are kind of diminished because we, we get lazy. You know, we outsource our thinking. Something that can outthink. I have to skip this because I want to get to the end and wrap this up for you. So basically, uh, the impact on what we see now on work and jobs is going to be absolutely amazing. I think really it's about two things, about augmentation, you know, helping us to get the job done. And by the way, I think this is about 95% of what AI does. Gives me better tools, gives me language translation, gives me all these things that I can do. And then of course automation, factories, robots, social media. This is actually pretty hard to do. So I'm a little bit concerned about automation, but not that much because most of the benefit will be here and augmenting us to do our work. I think if your job is 95% routine, you are in trouble no matter how you look at it uh, with AI, because basically AI will kill that routine and take over and you know, create an automation process. So I think this concept that I hear all the time, that because of technology, we become useless humans, I think some of that could be justified if you're talking about really total commodity work, like call centers. You know, 23 million people work in call centers. Not all of their work is commodity work, but a lot of it is. What do we do with those people? I mean, these are big questions that are going to be erupting pretty much everywhere. So augmentation, intelligent assistance. And then here we see basically what that translates into. This is all of your turf, of course. Everyday jobs that get better and more efficient using artificial intelligence. Not rocket science, not ex machina, not black mirror, not transcendence, you know, just better software. And this is why all the big companies are jumping on this, of course, trying to redo this. So basically, what's happening in our real life, you know, some of what we do becomes digitized. This is what happens with technology. Does it make you superfluous if some of your jobs are taken away by smart technology? I would argue most of the time we'll find better things to do or we work less. But this is, of course, true for our job, whether it's true for the taxi driver or the factory worker. You know, big conversations there. But this is what AI does. It comes and takes our routines. That's what it will do. So in technology, for example, telecom companies, telecom maintenance, network maintenance, that's a perfect job for AI, at least for some of the components. Because it's, run by logic, not by emotions. This chart shows you what's happening with other jobs, partly, for example, paralegals and office support. We're going to see hugely increased efficiency, four or five X using artificial intelligence tools. This is a blessing or a curse because the company could say, well, if GERD works four X, I'll fire the other people. Or I give GERD an extra bonus. That would be good. Or you could say, maybe I just work three hours a day for the same money. That's another version of it. So these are power tools for us. And we see this chart here, somebody that's using AI in two months learns more than everybody else not using AI. So here's the bottom line. A person with AI that uses it wisely will beat the person that's not using AI. That's not really new. But the AI by itself will not beat a person, in most cases. In some cases, like driving potentially, but not right now. So that's what's happening with AI. We're going to see processes like this, where I can all of a sudden be an expert in Adobe using AI. I I can program stuff without having to actually know how to do it. I can create pictures of myself and redo myself in a a positive way. Uh, That used to take, you know, real skills, and now it's done. You know, basically anything. I, can, I even have my own bot called Girdbot, where you can look up all of my books and ask questions. It's kind of an interesting experiment. So uh, I got to wrap up, so I'm going to come to the end of this. Really, let's keep in mind, machines are digital intelligence. Digital, unorganic, unconscious. Right? And here's where they beat everybody. Uh, by 2030, we'll have a machine that does the work like on our level of all combined brains on computing. Okay. But this is just one kind of intelligence. Biological intelligence, as you know from many research factors here, that's about eight different times, emotional, social, cultural, musical, kinesthetic. All these things is what make our future. And this is what makes good business. That's why we're here. We're not here for this. I mean, I, I can just read about what you do on the internet, but here, we can create some meaning. And this is the important part, of course, where we are going with this. And this is why it's important that we create this handshake. You know, We go back and forth between technology and humanity. And I think this is really what it comes down to when you're looking at what we do. This is almost impossible for machines. I would say almost, you know, for the time being, because it requires more than data. It requires to see the real world. And this is, I think, why we have a leg up still very much here. Our skills are changing. We're moving up that pyramid. The lower part of that pyramid will be handled quite clearly by machines, data and information. So our jobs are changing. Our education is changing. All of these things are changing. So what do we do now? Five suggestions for your daily work. First, leave the human inside. There's a saying in programming called Hittle human in the loop. Do not remove the human from the equation. For example, if you're working on missile guidance systems, you know, we should not let the AI decide when to fire the missile. You know, there's been lots of discussions about this is a great example. You know, we should figure out how we can make that decision. We need to also figure out how we can protect humanity, our data, our privacy, bias. You know, these systems are extremely biased. You know, they were taken from the white people internet from the last 20 years, right? So it's completely not a worldly view of what's happening today. Very, very big topic, I think, here. How do we keep control? And my answer to that is, as long as we are in this turf of intelligent assistance and maybe some little bit more than that, we can keep control. If we move to general intelligence do you really want to be the second most intelligent species on the planet? That's a question you have to ask. That cannot possibly end well for us. And this is why I support regulation there and thinking about this is fine. This is just business. You know, we're gonna do much better with this. We're gonna maybe quintuple GDP. That's the promise of AI. Right? But to build a machine that can be like us? Why? Well, what's the point? So, I support very much the creation of such a body. So in this world, bottom line is we should pursue competence with AI to get the job done, not consciousness. I don't want the machine to decide if it's right or not, or good or not. I want it to just get the job done that I tell it to do, or that it figures out to do itself. But just get the job done, not consciousness. Very important when we think about the future, as we're talking about technology all the time, our biggest problem today is not that technology will take over, but that we become too much like technology. The world isn't just a data stream. (laughs) So I wrote a book about this in 2016, and this is the bottom line of the book. We should embrace technology, like AI, but not become technology. I think this is the ticket to a good future and a prosperous future as well. Keep in mind, when you become like technology, you are a commodity. So the technology we sell becomes essentially a vehicle for us to create purpose. So I want to thank you for your time. I uh, made a film about this called Look Up Now, like don't look up, you may know the film. Unfortunately, DiCaprio wasn't available to star in my film, so I had to do it myself. But lookupnow.tv is where you can watch more about this. I wanna thank you very much and have a good time down here. Thank you.